This is the Powered Up Podcast, show 86. But I think as a teacher, we are constantly reflecting. And I think one of the most powerful things we can do as teachers is to share those reflections with our students. Like, hey, yesterday I was reflecting on our lesson and I really felt like you guys didn't really click or you weren't really getting it. And so I'm going to tweak it this way. Welcome to a real world education with insight and advice from teachers in the game, where current and former educators reveal what truly sets apart the great teachers and what it takes to make a positive impact on students. Whether you're in pre-service learning, new to the game, or a seasoned veteran, this is the show for you. You'll leave feeling inspired to take action because we are powering education by empowering you. Hey, what's going on, everyone? This is Kennerman, host of the Power to Podcast, and I am here along with my co-host, Mr. Matt. Give me some more Benadryl Rogers. Matt, I applaud your dedication today. You're probably mad that I'm bringing this up, but Matt was in the urgent care today for an allergic reaction, and he valiantly chugged some Benadryl and stayed awake, not because we didn't have a great guest. We had a phenomenal guest. It's probably the only reason you did stay awake, because you're... Uh, you're hopped up on Benadryl. How you feeling, my friend? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing it up. Uh, <laughs> I uh, sent a picture to Ken maybe, I don't know, two hours before we were going to record as I'm sitting in an urgent care with hives all over my body. You know, Ken, I don't know about you. We've talked about, you know, taking health days and you've celebrated me doing that once last year, you know, four times in my career. I just have been lucky to be healthy. But I woke up this morning just as itchy as can be. And so some quality time in the urgent care and some prednisone and ben, uh, Benadryl. And, you know, here we are. Hopefully, you know, here things comes out, come out coherent is the best way to put it. Absolutely. So we had an awesome guest with us today, Autumn Rivera, uh, the 2022 Colorado State Teacher of the Year. And... Uh, we jumped right in without hesitating into her classroom. What was your biggest takeaway from the way her classroom operates or the way that she interacts? You know, with I students? feel like uh, we heard the best of both worlds. We heard, you know, a, a keyword in Ken's vocabulary structure, 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 right? Like, this is how everything's going to flow. This is all the pre work that goes into it, which is a lot of work. And then it's, you know, hand the keys over to the kids and let their creativity and their energy take control. Um, and so, I mean, we may have over-focused on one service project, but it's a pretty incredible one. She is just unbelievable at not, not having a, uh, I don't know the best way to put it, I guess, uh, fixed mindset. I, I don't know, like when you hear about what she did with her students and how she changed, it literally changed her community in an impactful way that, yeah, maybe something in her community changed names and, you know, it's intended purpose. But beyond that, it was the, you know, I couldn't imagine how I would have felt if I was a student in her classroom to have that much impact. Um, and the years and years and years that I would 
use that in a two truths and a lie type, uh, you know, brag, uh, the rest of my life. Yeah, for sure. What I, what I appreciate about our conversation is she had great ideas. She, um, brought us back to earth and reminded us that these things don't happen on a daily basis. Um, you know, to not, not have unrealistic expectations of what we can do in the classroom, but just, um, her attention to detail and the way that she portrayed that and, and, uh, verbalized that. I think any teacher can listen to this and really take away some valuable instructional ideas and practices that they can, they can try to put into place, uh, here so early in the beginning of the year. So she talks a lot about, the importance of setting those structures and routines. And, and with this coming out in early September, I think this is the perfect way to, to kind of transition us into thinking that way. So without any further delay, let's jump right into that interview with Autumn Rivera. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcasts. Now let's get back to the episode. Hi, Autumn. Welcome to the Powered Up Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? We are doing great. Thank you so much for, for joining us. As you said, right before we started recording, we are recording this in the summer, even though it'll be out a little bit later than that. Uh, but you are reaching your peak re- relaxation time. Um, and I, I think Matt and I can uh, can attest that we're in that that same phase as well. So to kick things off, please officially introduce yourself. Let us know where you are coming from and just give us a snapshot of your career in education. Yeah, so my name is Autumn Rivera and I am the Colorado 2022 Teacher of the Year and also a finalist for National Teacher of the Year. And I'm coming to you from Glenwood Springs, Colorado, where it is currently already 80 degrees at noon. I'm not used to that in Colorado. It's been a very hot summer. And um, I just finished up my 17th year teaching. I am a middle school science nerd and have been working with middle school science students for the past 17 years uh, and also spend some time. I'm an adjunct professor as well in the education department at Colorado Mountain College. So spending some time with middle schoolers and then also working with adults. I love doing both of those things. That's great. Matt and I have actually uh, both taught graduate courses um, with teachers. And I, I do um, agree that that balance is, is very nice. It's a good opportunity to kind of reflect on your own practice while you're, you're working with others. So middle school science, let's start off with something fun. What is the coolest thing that you do with your kids in middle school science? Oh, I think I do a lot of cool things. Middle school science, like really my goal as a middle school science teacher is to have students have a passion for science. So they'll continue and take that when they go on to um, high school and beyond. Students love just little challenges that I give them throughout the year. Making ice cream is always one of their favorite things. They love anytime they can eat something with middle schoolers, if they can eat it. Sometimes they eat it even when they're not supposed to eat it, but if they can eat it, they're always more excited about that. So just getting those students engaged and getting them involved kind of in real world situations is, I think, some of the most fun things we do in science. So um, when talking about a middle school science position, it often seems like, you know, that is a group that you are either built for or not built for. Um, and I'm sure with the hands-on attributes of science, especially at that middle school, you know, that love of learning that you're kind of alluding to is just ingrained so much in the activities that connect with all learners, regardless of their learning style. So to kind of hit you early on, you know, if you're in a lab that's hands-on, you know, the documentation, the, you know, visuals, auditory, those type lecture style lessons, I guess my question for you is, 
is, you know, which of those attributes do you uh, find naturally coming into your class frequently? Which, which do you look forward to the most and what is the most impactful? And also, which is the least and, and why do you think that it might be the, the part you rush through to get onto uh, your more preferred topic? Yeah, I think for me, and I'm lucky in science because it really isn't content that I'm teaching, it's skills that I'm teaching. So I get to sort of practice all of those different skills within my classroom. I will say that I definitely maybe spend a little more time on chemistry and a little less time on weather because, you know, that's boring. But with students and you get them excited, you find out what they're passionate about and then you just spend time letting them ask questions. It's definitely more of a student-driven classroom as opposed to me driving the the curriculum and where we go, which is one of my favorite parts about science is students get to ask questions and we just get to see where they want to go, allowing them to be intrigued and, and want to learn more about the world around them. Uh, teaching physics through skateboarding, like I said, teaching chemistry through baking or through making ice cream, whatever the students are interested, you can always tie it back into science. Can you give us a, a specific example of <clears throat> where maybe a, an activity, a lab, a project came forth because of the student interest that you were seeing or you were hearing from kids that you hadn't done in the past and, and maybe you still do it to this day or it was kind of inserted for one year and then it faded away because it was very uh, personalized to the students you had at the time. Yeah, so one of my favorite things to do as a teacher is to empower students to feel like they can make a change now. So many times our students are being told, like, in the next grade level or in the next school or when you're in a college or when you're an adult, and they're never allowed to make really any sort of change or any sort of decision preparing them for the present. And so I really want to change that narrative and allow my students to feel empowered. And a couple years ago, we were doing a project where we were researching the Colorado River which flows right by my school. And we were just, we spent the entire semester learning about it. And um, students learn a lot about the animals and plants that live along there, about the different uh, erosion and deposition parts of it. And they raise money through the, uh, selling some of their artwork. And every year they donate it to different areas, uh, local charities and things that usually they pick. And usually it's like a river conservancy or something like that. And one year, a sixth grader uh, decided that she wanted, she had heard about a local lake that was up for sale. It was a private lake, uh, part of the Colorado River watershed. And it was up for sale and a local land trust was trying to purchase it. And so she brought the idea to me that we should donate our money to that land trust instead of donating it to the uh, other places we normally do. And so we kind of went from there where we presented to the, the students the pros and the cons of the situation. We let the students sort of come to their own conclusions. I want my students to be able to make their own decisions. And they decided that this was something they wanted to do. So we donated the money that we had raised and they continue to raise more. And in the end, they raised over $1,000, which maybe doesn't seem like a lot, but when it's 11 and 12 year olds doing that, it can be really powerful. And, and the land trust was able um, to purchase uh, this land. And in October of 2021, our governor, Governor Polis, announced the Sweetwater Lake as the newest state park in Colorado. And so it was a really powerful experience to see these students sort of decide this is something they wanted to get behind. Um, and it was hard because we were raising money during COVID. You know, we went on lockdown and we were raising, we were selling t-shirts online, but just letting those students, that one moment where that student said, is this something that, that we can do? And just kind of diving into that, it was really cool to see what they did. Can I just ask a question um, related to this? And um, first off, that's incredible um, 
second part of that is, oh my goodness, what are you going to do next year? I mean, compared <laughs> to something like that, wow. I guess my question is, we often think about these style activities where it's community development or you know, giving back to a cause that you believe in. It's almost like when we're in teacher preparation school and you're writing a lesson plan and you're like, okay, that kind of checks that box, that kind of checks that box, and all of a sudden you have 13 standards in a 25-minute lesson because, you know, it's general. Um, I find myself when I do hands-on activities or when we're talking about the most special parts of our classroom that I sometimes maybe overstate the community impact or maybe why the kids, uh, how they grew. And I, I guess my question is, is what are the core things that you feel like your kids gained from an activity like that? What are they visibly in the short term? You're going to hear about that when they brag to friends in high school and college and, and what have you. But what are those short term things that you benefit from or see growth in beyond just kids having the opportunity to do a really great thing in general? Yeah, I think there was a lot of science content that was covered, which of course is important, but even more importantly was the uh, teamwork that students had to develop, the executive skills to be organized, to really work together, the compassion they had to show each other as they had different ideas and were kind of debating the topic and that democracy that happens within the class and those conversations that happen. I think the character de that development that happened through that process is equally, if not more important than the content that they learned because those skills of being able to work with other people, especially people that maybe have differencing opinions, being able to have like an argumentation session where they can really push and challenge each other and a more kind of mature controlled area is some skills that we as adults still need to work on. And so I think allowing them to have that experience instead of telling them, oh, they can do it later, like allowing them to really challenge each other and develop that character and really push each other is something that they took sh short term, but they definitely take long term as well, because checking in with students a couple years later, they realize like, oh, I can still do things like that. And some of them are raising, uh, trying to change the narrative in female bathrooms and putting up positive messages in there. Other ones are working at developing some sort of trash program, recycling program. So just from that small, simple idea, because how many times do we as teachers have kids come to us and like, you don't always have time to say yes. Like there's a lot of other things going on. And so luckily I had a really supportive administration that said, go for it and let's see what happens. And it was a really cool experience. Can I push you a little bit further? Please do. Yes. So I guess that is one of the things that I believe, right? I, I believe is completely accurate. I guess are there any examples that maybe you saw that you're like, oh, you know, we did this major thing and beyond just pride, I saw my classroom culture change or, you know, this student who was struggling and maybe uh, whether it's motivation or friendships or what have you led beyond because I like I said, I feel like sometimes we, you know, glorify it and, and just assume that it hit all these things. Are there any examples you could pinpoint um, as appropriate as possible? I mean, that yeah, that way I, of like, if you don't want to share names or what have you, please, please don't feel no. to. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, let me clarify. This does not happen in my classroom all the time. It's not like every year I'm like, and now here's the next big thing. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's something that happens with just the, what's happening in the world around you and the students you have. But the student that totally. brought the idea to me was not, was a very shy student, was not someone that was really 
raising their hand and sharing out answers or leading the class. They were kind of just in the back doing their schoolwork. And so the fact that she even felt comfortable to come up to me and, and sort of say, hey, class, I think we shouldn't do this. We should do this instead. I think in middle school, as a female, like that can be a really difficult uh, time just to kind of say, no, I don't think we should do that. And to watch her grow from this sort of shy student into a strong leader in eighth grade was a really powerful experience just for her. And I think for her peers around them, the, the peers really, her peers viewed her as like, oh, here's someone that kind of knows what's going on. And they wanted to just sort of understand and, and really kind of develop friendships that maybe weren't there before, but because they had a common goal, you know, students from all different sort of cliques and different, you know, how middle school is and all of that world, but they were like, here's our unifying thing. And they all sort of worked together. And we had kids organizing the bake sale and another group of kids assembly lining, making these ornaments that they wanted to sell. And another group of students were designing t-shirts and they were giving each other feedback. And so this sort of like group work that arose with students that maybe normally wouldn't work together and kind of become this friend group and become this support system for each other through this process, I think was one of the best parts about the whole thing. So I'm right there with you. I loved to do stuff like this. And Matt can attest to many of the, the activities that we did in my fifth grade class. <clears throat> and pushback I would oft, often hear from educators that, you know, Matt, like you were saying, you, you believe in it, is how do I fit this all in? How do I find the time to do this when I have, you know, my laundry list of curriculum that I'm supposed to teach? And I gave some specific strategies, but I would I would say with with you know full honesty, I I never got less done. The, no matter how much of this I built into my classroom, I never got less done. So you know what can you what can you speak on about that in terms of how it affects your pacing? Um, things that you've done to keep your pacing on point as you add in these seemingly extra activities and just kind of how it impacts your your pacing overall for the year. Yeah, I um, am very lucky. I, I guess I will say lucky as a teacher in that I don't have a specific curriculum that I'm I'm following. You know, I have the standards that I stick to, but in my district, we're able as a group of science teachers to sort of create where we want to go. And so that gives me a little more flexibility, but I have worked in other situations where that isn't the case. And either way, the application of the learning is so powerful that yes, I might spend a day or two less on something that I wanted to do, but when they get to apply their knowledge in that hands-on experience, it's way better than anything I could teach them. There's no magical lesson that I could teach my students on the importance of you know saving this lake. Like They had this hands-on experience where they researched, they were the ones doing it, and that authentic learning is so powerful. And so I guess I would just encourage teachers to just you know, talk to your students. It's not, like I said, this was not an idea that I came up with. This was student powered. We did it in a week. We, we were at the last week of our unit when all this happened. We were at the very end and I was tired. You guys get the end of a unit. You're like, okay, can we be done? Like I'm ready. And then they, she brought me this idea and I was like, well, okay, here we go. We got a week. We can wrap, we can wrap it up and get it done. And, and I was able to sort of change the plans that I had set. Um, and that really allowed that to happen. But I think, um, in being able to sort of maybe tweak something here or shorten something up here, I was able to provide a really strong, authentic learning experience to my students and just really encourage us as teachers. So many times our students don't get to apply their knowledge. They just keep having it, you know, they are able to apply their knowledge in a test or a final project, but let's have our students apply their knowledge in an authentic learning experience. Cause that I think is the most powerful way to do that. 
have you on that note of the the finals and the tests? Have you replaced um, previous, we'll just say traditional assessments with authentic projects? Um, is it happening in conjunction with it before it, um, or are you are you looking to replace those traditional assessments with these authentic? activities and and do you have any advice along that? I think I'm slowly in the process. It's a lot of work. And so it's not something that's happening overnight for sure. But like, for example, I am able to partner with a local radio station here in in my town called Andy Zanka Youth Empowerment Program, which allows my students to make public service announcements about different topics. And so I've had them do quick 30-second public service announcements on what they've learned. And when the students know, hey, that's going to be heard on the radio for the entire community to hear, all of a sudden they're like, okay, we got to get our work done. We got to do it. And so just reaching out, I think the informal education world, our, our amazing community that's out there around all of our schools, we, we need to find a way to sort of break down that barrier between the classroom and what's happening in the greater community around us. Because there's so many awesome groups out there that want to be able to support, but they don't really know how. And sometimes it's hard as teachers because we're so busy to like look for ways to do that. So really trying as best we can to reach out to different groups. I think is something that can really help. And like I said, if students are interested in what they're doing, they won't even really view it as a test or as an assessment. It's something that they want to get done. And so also, I guess another tip is just to figure out what your students are interested in. Giving your students an interest inventory a couple times throughout the year. Like what what are they into? What are their things? And, And then you can sort of design problems and challenges around that. So the thing that keeps on coming to my head as I hear this, and I know that your, your classroom is so much more than just this one massively awesome experience, but I'm sure, you know, maybe very similar in smaller scale. When a teacher takes, they're not even teachable moments, maybe they're teachable opportunities. Like moment almost feels like it's a blip. You have, you know, deviation for two minutes and then you come back to what you're doing, or this is just inspiration of your learning. And uh, I know we've talked about it, uh, Ken and I, about how to control a environment where you want kids to determine, you know, the direction and you have to kind of almost prepare with materials and have an endpoint in mind. And it's really difficult to say, hey, I'm not going to navigate it or interfere because that's where the learning and frankly, the creativity and enjoyment come from. So how are you, the parent with arms on either side as an infant is, you know, or a young child is starting to walk for the first time, how do you manage that, whether it's structure, ideas, prompting, what are things that you're doing as general, you know, every day doing a lab or science activity to, you know, allow kids to grow as much as possible? Yeah. It's what, my favorite way to teach. It's really hard, <laughs> but it's my favorite way to teach. And I think um, having a lot of really specific routines and structures within your class, sort of so that the students can almost be the parent arms of each other, kind of guiding each other through the process. And also like allowing the kid to fall sometimes. Like sometimes they need to, to not get the right answer, quote unquote, right answer. Sometimes they need to sort of mess around down in the dirt and sort of figure out what's going on and then learn from themselves. And as a teacher, I'm there sort of around the outside and asking questions to get them to think. Sometimes it makes them really mad when you don't give them the answer right away. They really want that. But our students need to learn how to think again. They've sort of been taught how to memorize or taught how to study for a test and our students need to think. So I think allowing them to have that time, allowing them to be 
be each other's challengers, each other's sort of supports as well. I don't want them just to depend on me because I'm just one person. And when we're in a classroom of 25, 26 people, we can use each other. It does take a lot of work and a lot of training of your students and a lot. I mean, that makes like August through October, November, really rough because you got to stick to your guns. You got to make sure they know the routines and practice and practice. But every year, like about October, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't do it. But I have to remind myself, if you keep making them do it, January on, you can kind of, that's when the, the sweet spot hits and they get it. And then you can really challenge them. For sure. It's, it, you're, uh, you're speaking my language here <laughs> because I'm, I'm right there with you. And, um, you know, to, to the point of letting the, the kids fail, I think it's something that doesn't happen enough. And, you know, we could say, well, we don't want them to feel upset or down on themselves or lose confidence. But when you, when you sit back and reflect, I think there's so much that happens in school that allows students to lose confidence in themselves because they get dinged for not turning things in on time or they, you know, all those traditional things and they're not in an environment where they learn how to fail successfully. And I, I really do think it's something they need to experience. Um, just as we let out for the summer, I did a, a session with, with our teachers on creating a, a breakout room. And I told them, I said, listen, you know, I used to do this on the first day of school. It's a great way to build class community. And I would do them a couple of times throughout the year. Said, aside from the first one where they pretty much had unlimited time to, to break into the box, you know, they were timed and they didn't always do it. They would fail. I would always put a prize in the middle. It could be something as simple as candy, extra recess, simple things like that, that you can pull off in an elementary school. And if they didn't do it, I would open them. We would review, you know, what did you miss? Here's how you could have gotten it open. And I would show them exactly what they didn't win. And, and it would end there. I wouldn't give it to them because they need to, they need to feel that in a, in a safe environment. Um, and also look at, okay, what could we have done differently? How could I have done better? And the next time we're, we're going to do better and we're going to try a little bit harder that next time. And so, you know, I, I really do think it's something that, that kids need to, to experience from time to time in an appropriate manner and, and in a manner that, that makes sense to, to what you're teaching. So, um, exactly. And I think humanizing our students, I think Gerardo Munoz, the 2021 Colorado Teacher of the Year, always really challenges people that students are not robots and teachers are not robots. And we need to humanize both teachers and students. And sometimes humans fail and that's okay. And you'll be fine and you'll learn a lesson. And it's only a mistake if you don't learn from it and you're able to just keep moving and, and going forward. And and our students need to be in in controlled, safe, uncomfortable situations. Like if they're always comfortable, then we never learn. And we really need to be pushed out of our comfort zones to do that. And it can be a little scary sometimes, but that's where the best learning happens. That's a great way to put it. Um, so you've talked a lot about structures and routines. And, and when you look at an elementary classroom versus a secondary classroom, I think those can look way different. Um, even, you know, elementary teachers that teach a special, they have kids rotating in and out 45 minutes. That's more of like a, a secondary schedule. What are things that you've put into place to uh, maximize the time that you have with your students, maybe to be extremely efficient to start your class and extremely, uh, or I should say, not wasting the end of class that, you know, those are two times that I, I think we really miss out on a lot of time with kids. Um, and just for clarification purposes, just let us know how long your, your classes are. Yeah, so I teach and I've taught from anywhere from 45 minutes to 90 minute class periods. Um, and no matter how long the class is, I think always starting and 
I call it a do now, but I seen a call to focus. I seen a call to starter, like the name changes, but the, the five minutes at the beginning of class, um, especially in middle school. And I guess in all grade levels, when you're switching subjects, it's sort of a shell shock to your body and the students just need a moment to like take a, be- a breath, get grounded in what they're doing now. And it allows me as a teacher to take a breath as well and, and welcome this new group of students. And so starting with a quick five minute, you know, re, you know, just a silent time where they're working on something, reading something, answering a question, solving a challenge. Um, that piece I think is really important. It's something I start my class out with every day. And then uh, wrapping up the class at the end, reflection is something that I know I used to not do at all. And I've realized is probably the most powerful part in education that a lot of times gets overlooked because we just don't have time. But allowing students to reflect on what they've learned in the last unit, in the last activity we did, reflect on how their teamwork went, reflected on how their perseverance, you know, how, how hard they worked on something, but allowing that reflection piece at the end, that those first five minutes and last five minutes are probably the most important part of your school day, no matter how long your, your class period is. I, uh, I guess I may want to have you kind of extend on reflection because I, I do agree in this past year, honestly, this podcast has been the best reflection for myself and, you know, talking through what happened in my day or, you know, what are the the challenges uh, that I'm facing or decisions I have to make? How do you feel like you prepare? How do you, I guess, model reflection? And also how have you gained individually? Because I think that a commitment to reflection as a teacher leads to to an understanding why it's valuable, as you're mentioning, which then is so much more valuable than saying to kids, hey, I need you to reflect, how did that happen, right? Like a reflection in class could be two or three questions. It doesn't have to be a a major thing. Yeah, and it needs to be guided. It can't just be like, okay, everyone reflect. You know, an 11-year-old is not going to know what that means. And so I think Um, When I have my students reflect, it might be something as simple as like, okay, everyone stop what you're doing. Think about your teamwork. Is everybody right now focused? Is everyone part of it? Is there one person that's kind of taken over and everyone else is sitting back? Maybe there's one person that's not doing anything. Like, what can you do? And like, just pause and ask those probing questions. And the kids don't need to answer it out loud. It's just a moment for them to just think about it. And if you need to make changes, make changes within your group. I think allowing that part of, of, of that reflection to happen at the end of the lab or at end of an experience or day, asking them, you know, did, do you feel like you tried all the way to the end? Was there a time where you gave up? What do you think caused you to give up? How might you change that differently? Um, students need those guiding reflection questions. It's not something that they can just magically come up on their own. And I know for me as a teacher, it also causes me to reflect, like, as I'm asking them those questions, I'm reflecting on like, how is their teamwork doing? Like, what are, like, what's going on? You know, like that kid over there is like about to get on their phone. So I probably need to change something. So-and-so's asked to go to the bathroom three times. So that means they must be really bored. So I got to like change things up. But I think as a teacher, we are constantly reflecting And I think one of the most powerful things we can do as teachers is to share those reflections with our students. Like, hey, yesterday I was reflecting on our lesson and I really felt like 
you guys didn't really click or you weren't really getting it. And so I'm going to tweak it this way, like allowing the students to know that I'm a human and growing and learning, whether it's within the lesson or that night when I think about it and I come back and change it the next day, but sharing the reflections with our students, whether it's just like something I've thought about or it's a survey I've given my students and I want them to sort of see how I'm learning from that. But sharing that piece out helps the students know that it's not just my classroom, but it's our classroom and we're all kind of in this together. Real simple question on on what you're speaking to now, the logistics of it. Are they <clears throat> journaling? Is it something that is done digitally that you're collecting? Are you grading it? What is What do the logistics look like behind the, the reflection piece? I think it depends on the situation. If we're like, if it's right in the middle of the lab, it's going to be just something they're thinking about and discussing. If it's towards the end, it might be something they put. We have science notebooks in our classrooms. And we don't call them journals because scientific journals are peer-reviewed products. So because this is just their own work, we do scientific notebooks and the students are able to just take a quick moment and answer some questions at the end. Or that might be during the do now in the beginning, like think back to yesterday, what are some things you're going to change? Allowing them to have that think time before they share it out, I think is really powerful. Sometimes we as teachers skip to the next part where they're sharing out and they don't have that quiet moment to think on their own, especially for our, our second language learners. That's a really important, our, our English language learners, it's an important piece to allow them to think on their own and put it into words on their own before they share it with others. I'd love to shift gears a little bit, probably still related, but um, one of the things that I think science teachers do super well is a, a teaching strategy of just giving barely enough information that you know you're not spoiling. It's almost like talking about a movie that you've recently seen without spoiling the ending and then having them have an experience that they you know know all that they had to go through the procedures and then it all clicks at the end of that lesson. So what are attributes that you feel like, um, are great about that in your classroom? And how would you suggest teachers in ELA or math or you know social studies, how could they bring that teaching or lesson style into their own rooms? I love that question. That's a great question. Um, science, you know, in the last 10 years, as many of us have shifted to our new next generation science standards, um, has changed how science has been taught. And no longer is it memorize the steps of the scientific method. It's a lot more like, here's a phenomena, let's ask a question about it, and then through that process, we sort of learn what's going on. It can be something as simple as one time I gave my students, this is one of my favorite lessons, I give them each a ball, which in middle school you have to call a sphere, because you know, they're middle schoolers. <laughs> and so I give them each that, and I allow them to just, you know, throw the ball around for five minutes and write down what you observe. And the kids, you know, they're sort of thinking this is weird and they do it and they write the different things down. And I might have to help them sort of understand like the ball stays on the table until I knock it over and stuff like that. But they, after five minutes, they sort of generated these lists of observations and then we're able to share them in the tables and then they share them out with the whole class. And through that process, I write all their observations on the board and then we kind of group them together. And at the end, the students on their own have created Newton's three laws of motion just through their observations. And so allowing them to sort of, you know, I could, here's the observation, here's the three laws, write them down, memorize them. I could do that, no problem. 
but taking an extra 10 minutes to allow the students to sort of discover them on their own and process it, they're going to remember that a lot more because they were involved in that. And so allowing students to see phenomena, something that they don't know the answer to, and that can be something as simple as a math problem that's solved in a different way. Maybe it's a piece of text, a poem, or a quote that gets students to think about different things. Uh, a primary source in a, a social studies class, but each of these phenomena where students don't know the answers to and are able to ask questions, I think is a great way to really allow our students to go through that process of inquiry and not just telling them what an answer is. And just to add, you know, you mentioned it might take you 10 extra minutes, but when you revisit it or, you know, when you need to bring it back up into class, you probably have a catchphrase as a reminder of what that is instead of, you know, reteaching it over and over and over. And, you know, we use analogies all the time in elementary school uh, to say, or, you know, situational based learning. Hey, have you ever been to blank and remember when this happened? That's so big in education, whereas you're earning that time back, and that's where it almost balances in that classroom. Yeah, and it's also providing a common background. I think if you go, hey, remember when, or how many of you have been, for example, how many of you have been rafting on the Colorado River? And even though it flows through my town, I would say not even half my students have. And so when I'm able to actually provide them, like the extreme is, yes, I've taken them rafting on the river, but you know something simple is they've all had the ball and they've all thrown it around the classroom. And so they all have this common background knowledge, which allows just your classroom to be way more equitable in your experiences and in your knowledge that you're recalling. Um, and my favorite part is seeing the students like on a test or on a final project to write the answer and they reference the experience that we've done or they draw a little picture of like, here's the ball and I threw it at so-and-so's head and then it stopped and that's the first law of motion. And so having them reference that common experience is also really cool. Yeah, <clears throat> I I think you're, you're putting it into a great perspective where you are spending that extra 10 minutes, but you're going to get that 10 minutes back tenfold because you're not going to have to reteach. You're not going to have to revisit um, they're actually going to be paying attention. I had an activity where they essentially worked through a packet of just coloring fractions and it led them to discovering how to add fractions. And, you know, what, what I like about those experience is, is they don't know the laws of motion. They don't know how to add fractions. They don't know all of the things that we're about to teach them. And, when you can find a way to set it up that they, in theory, discover it, they there's that emotional piece to to learning it. And the the wrap up of my lesson was they would watch a screencast that I created on how to add fractions. And so you know they would work through the packet and they would show me to say like, yeah, it looks like you figured it out. They would watch the screencast and it was like, yeah, I was right. Or like they would leave class super close to figuring it out. And then when they get home and they see it, they say, oh, okay, that, make, that makes sense. So, you know, when we can give those kids those opportunities to discover things that we, we take for granted because we know it, um, they don't know it. And we can allow them to, to discover it and, and have that emotional piece tied to, to that, that uh, portion of learning. So um, what I want to ask you about is, you know, you are the state teacher of the year. So, I know you're involved in that community now with, with different responsibilities and opportunities that come with that, but I would also imagine you're heavily involved in your, in your school community as well. So outside of your classroom, what are things that 
you have done with your school community or your, you know, your local education community that you think um, has just had a positive impact that maybe others can replicate or just motivate other teachers to find ways to make a greater impact outside of their classroom? I think school without community is really impossible. And I'm so grateful for the community I work in. They're so supportive. I love going to the grocery store. And of course, you're going to have a quick parent-teacher conference or you'll see a student. I always love when I'm trying to buy something for my niece or nephew. And I'm like, I need a kid opinion. And I look around and sure enough, there's always going to be some sort of student there that I can ask them for, for feedback. But I think as teachers, if you can do the things, if you can go to the football game, go to the the dance recital, take, you know, I know it can be a lot, but if you can just spend an hour or two stopping by one of their extracurriculars that students do, it is going to go so far in your classroom because the students all will be like, oh my gosh, Mr. Rivera, you were at the championship, you know, football game. And I got to see my sixth graders playing each other and, and just being there, they're so excited. They just love that piece. And that connection that you can make outside of the classroom just carries over. And the parents know that you care, the community's there. And it just, it's my favorite thing to do. And I think sometimes people don't understand how strong that, that, experience can be for your students and for yourself. And when the students know that you care, they're just going to work that much harder in your classroom. It is crazy to think that, you know, simply going to a practice or a game makes a huge difference. But uh, I, I mean, I think you're, you're saying it so accurately. There's nothing like the Monday after going to visit or, you know, the day after that visit, because even a, a middle schooler, is just they may not be as upfront about how much it mattered to them, but they are going to act differently in your classroom, and you're going to have some allies in that classroom when you need it, right? Like when when something's going on, and maybe that power shift changes when you're you. Hey, how are you doing the the group work today? And it's you know a totally different learner. And just to being able to um, tie that into that like teamwork, like hey, remember when you guys were on the field doing this and you guys were, you know, you were down a point and you really persevered and you got, you know, you scored and tied the game, you know, you should take that and apply it here in this problem or this challenge and just being able to have that connection and debrief the game the next day or the dance recital or, you know, the horse competition, any of those things. It's something that it's, it's really fun. I love it. So you're obviously an incredible educator, you know, before we've met, but we can clearly see why, <laughs> you know, you are, uh, deserve the honors. I guess my, my question that I love asking people like uh, you who are in this special position is what about your classroom really, you know, solidifies why you earned this position? What, why is an experience in your room, you know, worthy of being a model for the entire state of Colorado and, and potentially further. And uh, we are terrible at boasting. So I'm going to ask you to do that in the most yeah. like <laughs> reasonable way as possible, because a lot of successful teacher and people just do what they think is the right thing for kids. And that is, you know, as far as that conversation is. So maybe I'll shift that lens. If you're talking to a new teacher what are those core values? What are those, you know, perspectives? Why is your environment so encouraging to learning? I think um, 
first off, you're 100% right. It's very hard for us as teachers to talk about ourselves. It feels very awkward to do that piece. Yeah. Filling out the application for Teacher of the Year was a, a very reflective and a little difficult time sometimes because I felt like I was just like, well, look how cool I am. And like, that's not what we do as teachers. So it, I think it's really funny. But I think the big thing for me that when I think like what boils down in my classroom, it's just the idea of relationships and getting to know my students and allowing my students to be themselves, whoever that is. It's a welcoming and safe space for all students to be. And, and those relationships, whether it's, you know, talking about a, a simple science lesson or um, making a quick TikTok so the students can help me learn the next dance, you know, having those relationships, getting to know the students. Uh, in middle school, it's a really awkward time. And so letting the students be embarrassed of me instead of each other, I think is also something that's really great. I do love to uh, embarrass myself in front of my students because they just don't know what to do with that. And so allowing the students just to have fun and be themselves and build those relationships. It takes you years, you know, you just, those relationships are so strong and they continue to go. I'll never forget this last winter taking my car in to get new tires and looking over and seeing that pretty much the entire people working on all the, the tires were former students. And you might look and see like adults, but I saw sixth graders and I was like, oh dear God, <laughs> you know? So we had to have a little conversation about like, this is Miss Rivera's car and you need to put all the wheels on and tighten all the lug nuts appropriately. Um, and it was just a cool moment. Like I was a proud teacher and a little bit scared teacher all at the same time. They did a great job. The car drives fine. Um, but those relationships are really fun and I love it. It's really great. It is the most rewarding part of education. And it's hard because you don't see it uh, for some time, right? Like you see, it is such a long journey. And I feel like what you're sharing is what we all hope to hear, right? That we poured our hearts into the relationship first beyond the curriculum, um, because that is such the ticket to really make your life easier. When those connections are there, when you're going, when you're seeing, you know, um, putting that time in, it really does make your life so much easier as a teacher and focused. The other thing that happens to benefit you is, as you mentioned, you're a science nerd. You chose a topic area that you love living in. And I think that's sometimes what we forget about too is, you know, I love teaching all of the subjects in fourth grade. I would not want to separate and uh, doing your best to find something that just clicks with you, that you could do it day after day after day after day um, is really important. So that, you know, care, that love, that interest flows out of you naturally instead of forcing. Yeah. And I think having like, so if you ask the students, what's one thing they remember about me, they will, all of them, no matter what say, she's the teacher that's obsessed with the Ninja Turtles. And it's true. I have a giant shrine in the back of my classroom of, you know, Ninja Turtle stuff I've collected over the past 17 years of teaching, but the students always remember it. And I think getting a gimmick, if you can, whatever it is, find your thing that the kids can connect to you with. And they just come and stand and they stare at it. You know, they just love it, but it's been, you know, something that's going on and it just helps build those connections. And they, the kid at the discount tire that was selling me the tires was like, wait, aren't you the teacher that loves Ninja Turtles? And I was like, yes, I am. And so just having that piece, you know, they never forget. I hope over the past 17 years, you've encouraged them to watch the original Ninja Turtles movies, mm -hmm. but the real- I show it okay. to them when okay. I can. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's important that they know the OG. Yes. So that's what we do. <laughs> hey, Ken, Ken, I don't know if we've ever actually talked about, we've done what, 80 some episodes? I think what you just said, Autumn, was 
as simple as it sounds, creating a shrine, having a thing, you know, that's what I remember. My uh, third grade teacher was in love with teddy bears. I don't know why, but there were teddy bears all over the place. My fourth grade teacher was in love with whales. I then turned in love with whales. It's still my favorite animal. And as simple as it sounds, having a stick that's obviously, you know, school appropriate, you know, mine happens to be uh, the sports teams that I follow just more naturally, because I'm almost in enemy territory naturally where I am. So it is almost that like fun, silly back and forth. Um, but I, I just want to highlight like, that is a great thing. I know uh, uh, my co-teacher has a thing with llamas absolutely loves llamas now mind you recognize when you have a stick when when it is you know holiday time or your birthday or those things you are just going to get every variation of good and bad and ugly you know versions but give me a turtle shell like an actual turtle shell and i was like i okay i don't need that but yeah it is it's it's a very funny thing but they remember it and it connects and it doesn't totally i mean i'm gonna be honest it wasn't that I was obsessed with the Ninja Turtles when I first started teaching, but my mentor told me, you know, she was basketball. That was her thing. Like, like get a thing. And so I thought, okay, that'll be fun. And here we are 17 years later. It's a giant shrine in the back of my classroom. <laughs> it really awesome. is. Oh, and they also need to know their favorite Ninja Turtles test question, right? Mm-hmm. Like they pops up randomly. And so they always yep. need to know what's, what's, who's Miss Rivera's favorite Ninja Turtle. And that's, get them some good points on a test. Well, who is it? Donatello. Funny yet smart. Ooh, interesting choice. I know, controversial. Not Raphael. I know most people's favorite, but I'm Team Donatello all the way. I'm more of a Michelangelo fan. Liam's Leonardo nice. was always mine. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, yeah. nice. No one's Raphael. I, I think it reflects a little bit mm-hmm. about our personality. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right. So um, I do I do agree with you, Matt. We have not talked about that all, and I, I think it is a, a great thing to consider um, because it, it makes you human. It, like you said, Autumn, it doesn't matter whether they've heard it before, they are interested, they're not interested. It just makes you human. It, it allows them to to connect to you. So I don't want to come to this conversation short, but I do want to be respectful of our time and jump into our exit ticket, which is the same four questions we ask every guest every week. Question number one, what is the best, I'm sorry, what is the best thing a teacher can do to make a student's school experience better? Get to know them as a human being, I think is the best thing that we can do to humanize them, to be able to tell when they're having not a great day and to, to talk to them about that, not just like gloss over it, like pull them aside, like, hey, is everything okay? And I think humanizing our students is the best thing that we can do. With the next question, I want to clarify, uh, building a shrine cannot be your answer, but... <laughs> okay. Um, when thinking back, what is the best piece of advice that you feel like you've received, maybe that you think about frequently? Um, key behind that is it could come from a colleague, you know, a supervisor, or even a student. Mm-hmm. Um, the best advice for me is you can't do it all, all the time. And you you need to pick like one thing that's going to be your thing that you focus on that year. I think when I first started teaching, I was like, I'm going to do all the things and I'm going to have like this thing and this fancy thing and they'll do this and this and you can't. Like we're human beings. I know so many times people like to call us teachers superheroes, but I'm not a superhero. Like I have to pee and I have to eat sometimes. And so like I need to make sure that I have time for myself. And so not doing all the things, like picking a couple things to do and making those be your focus, I think is the biggest thing that's shaped my career. 
So you mentioned it before, you know, all of that work at the front end of the school year, um, October being like, oh my goodness, we are, we have a long time to go. Um, so the question reads how, that we know that the school year goes in waves and there are days or honestly weeks at certain times that we just need to, you know, struggle to survive, stay, stay above float. What's something you feel like an educator should hear in that moment to help them power up and power through to get to the other side and, and get back to, you know, their values? Um, I think first off naming it, like saying like, this is really hard. I'm having a hard time right now. And this, you know, whether it's the month of October or the entire 2021, 2022 school year, whatever you want to say, <laughs> like naming it, you know, like I think so many yeah. times we try to like gloss over it and you get into that toxic positivity world, but really naming the situation like this is hard and allowing teachers to have space to really process it. Um, and then sort of set steps to move forward, I think is really important. And when I find myself really in it, like I stop and like have fun with the kids. Let's take 15 minutes and let's laugh together. Let's do something silly. Let's do whatever, because we're there for our kids, but we're also there to take care of ourselves. And so naming it and then kind of working forward together on how to move forward, I think is really important. Awesome. Thank you. It's easy to fall into facilitating a repetitive classroom. What separates teachers who constantly seek change, innovation, and new teaching strategies? Mm -hmm. Like I said before, I'm very lucky in that I don't have a set curriculum that I have to teach. I do have my set standards that I need to do, but I'm always trying to find something new. I'm always trying to reach out, learn different methods, learn from each other. Teachers and watching other teachers teach is the best professional learning you're going to get because there's so many amazing teachers out there and being able to watch other people and steal some ideas from each other is really powerful. And I think just allowing that to constantly be changing. If I ever find myself falling into the like, okay, here's what I do on the third week of October every year, you just can't do that. You're going to get bored and then your kids are going to get bored. So mixing it up, getting to know the students so that you can then try to shape your, your curriculum, your, your lessons around them as best you can. Both of those pieces, I think, really help you not fall into that rut. So the last thing, um, and besides just looking on a map for, you know, class Rivera Lake, um, what are other ways that uh, our audience can continue to follow up uh, with you and your um, beautiful journey through education? Yeah, so I'm on all the social media platforms, Miss Rivera 114, MS Rivera 114. If you want to follow me on any of that, you can watch the silly TikToks my students and I are making, um, which is really fun and just stay up to that date with that. Um, just trying to really be out there and be a part and connect with teachers. I think we're all in it and we need to support each other. So however you can, I love hearing from people and reaching out and just getting ideas. I'll steal some ideas from different people as well. So just keep that connection going. Awesome. Thank you so much, Autumn. I, we really appreciate your time and you joining us. And, and as Matt said earlier, it's very clear as to why uh, you were selected as the Colorado Teacher of the Year. Uh, your students, your school, your community is clearly very lucky to have you as a part of that. So please keep doing what you're doing. Um, so thank you again for joining us. Everything that we talked about, um, as well as ways to connect with Autumn, can be found on our show notes page, which you can visit at poweredu.com slash show86. So we will put that there as well. There's also a button for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you wouldn't mind doing that. So more educators can hear the amazing conversations that Matt and I get to participate in every week. 
If you have not already, and this is your first time listening to us, please subscribe to us, whether it be on YouTube or your podcast platform of choice. So Autumn, thank you again. Uh, it was great to meet you and yeah, I look thanks, forward guys. to continuing to follow you on social media and maybe we'll, we'll be able to connect again in the future sometime. And Matt, why don't you uh, power us on down here? All right. As we power this episode down, you've left us feeling powered up. Um, hopefully you don't transition to thinking about school too soon <laughs> as you're in that too. bliss of summer. Um, but we know that you're going to have an incredible year and uh, we appreciate everything you shared today. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to or watching us on YouTube. Each week, we get to talk to amazing educators who are making a positive impact on the lives of students, their colleagues, administrators, and education as a whole. It's been such a privilege every week to be able to talk to these incredible individuals, learn from them, grow with them, and better myself and all of education through these conversations. If you haven't already, please consider sharing this with a colleague, someone who can benefit and be powered up from the experience of listening to these incredible conversations. Because of Powered Up, we are powering education by empowering you.